All right, so uh, last week, Rory was in John chapter 5, and, uh, and we have, you know, home groups, and Rory wrote some questions for our home groups, and we were going through uh, on our home group on Monday night, and we came up to one of the questions that was about the Lord's Day. And um, Rory spoke about the Lord's Day about three years ago in a way that I'd never heard anybody speak about it before. And it kind of changed my perspective, my perspective on what it means that uh, there's this phrase in the New Testament, the Lord's Day. And you'll hear Rory say this, the Lord's Day. And it's in reference to Sunday, today. And so, you know, I was thinking there's a lot of new people in our church. And there's just been something kind of changing in me for the last few years is my perspective on this. And so I wanted to, to speak on that today. And so Rory asked me to teach uh, a couple weeks ago. And so I decided I would cover that. So um, my goal today is to, and I want you to just just kind of open up your mind to this, and some of you guys are probably already where I'm at on this, but I want to convince you to set apart Sunday as a day for the Lord, okay? So that's going to be kind of my intention today. I'm not going to teach, I'm going to teach several, we're going to look at several pieces of scripture today. I feel like the Lord's Day is sort of like a Tetris game where you have this piece of evidence and that piece of evidence and this piece of evidence and that piece of evidence. And you need to try to figure out how do these all fit together. And so it's not, um, it's not a, a, a topic really where you could go to a single text and be like, oh, this is kind of the teaching on the Lord's Day. And so we're going to look at all the different pieces of evidence that are out there. Um, but first... Um, I wanted to start with um, the week. I, wanted to, I, I used to be a science teacher. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to ask this question. So think about this for a second. Where did the week come from? Okay. And so I'm gonna, we're going to start with a day. And I'm, we're going to go through some science. So what, what's a day? Okay. little middle school science review for you guys. And then what's a year? What's a month? And what's a day? We've got to go through all four of those things, okay? And so I'm going to need someone around a middle school age. I'm actually going to need three someones, okay? And I was just kind of looking out in the audience like, who can I force to come up on the stage? Okay? So, all right, you're up. What's your name, dude? Come on up. Okay, I'm, I'm going to need two more. There's only like three other students in here, so. What's your name, dude? Wesley, what grade are you in? I'm actually a sophomore. Sophomore. Jenny, what grade are you in? Oh, she's a junior. We need a junior up here. Come on, Jenny. And is it going to be Carly or is it going to be Joanne? Oh, we need the All right, we got a senior. Joanne, you're off the hook. Okay. So here we go. We have three astronomical bodies on the stage now. Okay, so who feels like the sun? Okay, so you'll be the sun. Okay, so here's the sun. Okay, remember he's the sun. I should have gotten name tags and just slapped it right on. Okay, now, so first question, what's, uh, you know what, we actually don't need the sun yet. Jenny, you're green, you'll be the earth. Okay, so Jenny's the earth. So what's a day? Do you guys know what a day is? One full rotation. Jenny, do a 360. Whoop, yes, there's a day. Okay, one more time, do another day. Oh, there's another day. It's always the same direction. That would be really, that would be really abrupt if the earth suddenly. Okay, so Jenny's, Jenny's the earth. So what's a day? Why do we have this thing called a day? 
It's actually based in physical reality. There's this body called the earth, and it spins around one time. Whoop, and we call that a day, right? Now, what is a year? Now we're going to need the sun. What's a year? Jenny, can you act it out for us? What's a year? Okay, let's, let's do it. Let's do the, let's do the, um, let's do the geocentric version. Here's the earth, okay? So people used to think, ah, oh, this is a, a year, Okay, actually, I guess this would be a, I don't even know if this is how they thought about it, because it's not right, but, okay, so, okay, the sun goes around the earth, I think that would have been a day, okay, that's not a year either, but this is a year, the earth goes around the sun, and then, how many times are there days while the earth goes around the sun? 365, so why do we have this random 365 days, because every time, okay, 360, one, two, Okay, two, okay, we got to do 365, three, okay, okay, and it just keeps going and going and going, okay, 365 times, you are so good at this, Jenny, okay, so 365 times, the, the earth spins around, and it also goes around the sun one time, that's called the heliocentric view of the universe, that the sun is the center of the solar system, okay, so a day is one rotation of the earth, Okay, one, you've got to use the right words here. Yeah. Rotation, revolution, I don't remember. I don't teach middle school science anymore. Okay, um, a year is how many times until the sun goes around, or the earth goes around the sun, okay? How about a month? This is what the moon is here for. Okay, now it's going to get complicated. Come here, moon. All right, so the moon, so here we go, one day. Okay, and in one day, the moon goes about... Now, this is really something that should make you believe in God. I apologize, I don't know you that well. Um, the moon always faces the earth. You only, you've never seen the backside of the moon, okay? Because a few guys have in a spaceship one time. But the moon, as the moon rotates around the earth, the moon rotates on its axis. And so the moon always faces the earth. Isn't that interesting? I'm pretty sure God did that for a reason. I'm not sure what it is. Probably has something to do with the tides or something. So, guess how many days it takes the moon, how many earth days it takes the moon to go around the earth? I know, I I, know, I know, This I know. girl knows. It's like 27. It's like 27. I think it's, it's, it's either 27.5 or 28.5 or 29.5, one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there you go. See, this kid's got a good science teacher. So... Let's, let's put it all together now, okay? Jenny, flip. Moon, one step. So she's going to do about 28 steps, okay? Now, Jenny, you also got to step around the sun. Keep going, keep going, keep going. There we go. Moon, you got to wrap, wrap around there, Moon. Okay. Everybody clap for him. Okay. So, okay, so now we know why there's a day, why there's a month, why there's a year. You guys can go sit down. Thank you. Anybody know why there's a week? It's comp- like in terms of in terms of the solar system, there is no reason for a seven-day week. Okay, why isn't there a ten-day week? Why isn't there a fourteen-day week? Why not a base six? You know, like three hundred and sixty is really divisible by base six. Why not a six-day week? It's totally arbitrary. And if you Google it, where did the week come from? Guess where it came from? 
early human existence, okay? Now, I love this kind of thing because it kind of, you just can't get around it if you don't believe in God or you don't, you don't think the Bible's inspired. The same kind of thing, this sort of like multicultural, all over the world, everybody kind of does the same thing. It also exists for flood legends. So go ahead, put that picture up, for flood legends. So this is a little chart of flood le- legends around the earth. Flood legends, did I say that right? So you've got the Assyrio-Babylonian 1 and 2, Persia, which is like Middle East, Syria. But then you go over to Egypt, Italy, Russia, China, India, even Hawaii and Fiji, Peru. Everywhere all over the earth, there's a flood legend. And if you look at... Um, kind of the ones that are all the same in the middle. The the green box means that the idea is represented. So, you know, I'm going to start like third one down. There's a favored family. Most global flood or most flood legends around the globe, there's a favored family. There's a lot of times there's divine uh, destruction. There's an ark provided. Destruction by water. Humans are saved. Universal destruction. You see all those lines. All those things are found within basically every flood legend around the world. How do you get all these different cultures that live in totally different parts of the world to all have the same basic story? I guess I, I'm expecting you to answer, but this isn't high school. You can, you can get rid of that now. So the, the, most, the simplest answer is usually the best answer. And how do, you, how do you get that? You start with the story, and then you start spreading around the earth. Okay. So the first people, before they spread all over the earth, they already had that story, right? Same idea with the seven-day week. Why do people all over the world have a seven-day week? Because the first people had a seven-day week. And they took that seven-day week with them all around the world as they um, populated the earth. And so I personally, because of my worldview, would argue that there's a seven-day week because God created the earth in seven days, and that story was with the first humans, and it spread all over the earth. Okay? Now, as Christians, we believe this. I'm going to read to you Exodus 28 through 11. This comes out of the Ten Commandments. And so here we go. Uh, where, did the, where did the week come from? This is my first point I was trying to get at. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep going. Six days you shall labor labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord to your of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Uh, You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and it and all that is in them. And rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Or another translation is, and made it holy. Okay? And holiness is just like set apart. Okay? And, and so, um, the, you know, as, as I'm making the case that like Sunday is a day you should set apart for the Lord, um, you need to consider where the week came from to begin with. You know, an argument that, that someone could make that you don't need to treat Sunday as a special day comes from the idea that, oh, the Sabbath is a Jewish thing. 
like not eating pork, and you can eat pork now because Jesus fulfilled the law, so you don't have to worry about the Sabbath either. And that's, that's like, you know, you need to consider that idea. You need, you know, as you form your own opinion about the Sabbath, you need to really weigh the arguments and make up your own mind about it. And, and so I have weighed the arguments, and I don't find that appealing. Just to give you a little bit of a sense why, there are certain laws in the Old Testament that are called ceremonial laws, like having your child circumcised, not eating pork. And then there are certain laws in the Old Testament that seem to be more permanent. Okay? And I, I would argue that all ten commandments are like permanent moral laws. Now, there's no place in the New Testament where it's just clear there are moral laws, there are ceremonial laws, but it's sort of something that you can reason through and build a theology on. So bring up the Ten Commandments. I've got a picture of the Ten Commandments. This is an actual picture of the Ten Commandments. Any second now. They found the tablets just recently in Israel. Maybe they did. Yeah, there they are. Okay? And um, so, but this is how they were, this is how they were written. Okay? Um, there were four commandments on one tablet, and there were six commandments on the other tablet. Okay? And this is Moses, you know, and he comes down from the mountain, and then I think he breaks them. Um, so the first four are about your relationship with God, and the last six are your relationship with other humans. And so, you know, Jesus, they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he summed them up kind of in two, one for the God tablet, one for the man tablet. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. And so if you look at those, the first four, you know, are about putting God first. And the last six are about loving people. And so if you're going to make the argument that like, oh, you don't have to go to church on Sunday. You don't have to treat Sunday as a special day. You know, that's, then you're crossing off number four, and you're saying, but yeah, the rest still apply. And so it's like, you can, you can do that, and like, as a young Christian, that's kind of how I thought about it, because I thought it was like, well, the Old Testament's erased, you don't got to follow the Old Testament rules anymore. But there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that are not just ceremonial, but they're like permanent moral laws that don't change. And, and so we just looked at Exodus 28 through 11, and it, it doesn't pull off of anything you know, in their time period to make that rule, it pulls off something permanent. Um, And they call this, what do they call this? A creation mandate, okay? So, like, the same argument gets used about homosexuality sometimes. People will say, there's a a place, I think, in the Old Testament where it says, you know, homosexuality is an abomination. And then just a few sentences later, it says, don't wear clothing made out of two different fabrics, and then people will be like, oh, you see, you wearing that 50-50 cotton poly blend? It's just a ceremonial thing, you know? But homosexuality is one where Jesus spoke specifically about, I mean, more about marriage than about homosexuality. But he spoke, you know, a man leaves his father and his mother and the two become one flesh. You know, he's referring to back in Genesis uh, when that's first defined. And then the same thing is true for the Sabbath. He says, for, in, in verse 11 of, of Exodus 20, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so like before Moses, before the Jewish people, there was already this special day. So do we really think that because 
the, the laws of Moses are erased, that this special day from the very beginning of creation is also erased. And so then, uh, let's keep going with this, and just, just hear me out on this, okay? Um, John 5, 8 through 18. So I'm going to read this whole thing. This is what Rory was teaching on last week. You should totally listen to it. And this is sort of a side issue of what that text is about, but it's, it's worth looking into. So that's what we're looking into today. But let's just look at the whole text again. So my, second, my first question was, where did the week come from? Second question I want to ask you, I have five questions I'm going over today. Second question, what did Jesus do to the Sabbath? Okay. Um, so verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise up, take your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now, I, I actually cut this off because it's really a long thing and I don't want to spend too much time on but so Jesus comes to this pool. You, if you were here yesterday, you heard the story. This man wants to get in the pool. He thinks he's going to get healed. And Jesus looks at him, and it's on the Sabbath. And Jesus tells him, pick up your bed and walk. And to the Jews of the day, this was a complete and total violation of the Sabbath. Which, you know, if you read Exodus 28 through 11, don't do any work. You know, don't pick up your bed and carry it somewhere else. You know, don't pick grain and feed yourself. Like, get the food ready the day before. And so Jesus is sort of breaking the Sabbath here, maybe. Um, obviously not, because he's Jesus. But let's, let's look what he says. Uh, immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Okay, go to verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, is it, the sa- it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful you, for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn uh, a multitude being in that place. Keep going. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Go to 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Um, But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. And so we see Jesus come into Jewish culture and start treating the Sabbath differently than Jews had always treated the Sabbath. And, and so notice that Jesus doesn't say, oh, that doesn't count as working. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, no, that's okay. That amount of working, that little bit of working, that's okay. He doesn't, he doesn't make that argument. He actually acknowledges, yeah, I just, I just told that guy to work. And I've been working all along. And I, you know, I heard one person say, I think it was, um, yeah, verse 17. I heard one person say on this, that they think that what Jesus, this is a really deep thing that he says, my father has been working until now and I have been working. I heard one person say, you know, Jesus, you know, created everything, sat down, rested on the seventh day. But then when Adam sinned, Jesus and the father got back up and they started working again on how to make man right. And so that, that's an interesting interpretation of that, what Jesus means by saying he's still working. But either way, Jesus is trying to justify what you call breaking the Sabbath. 
Yeah, I agree. I'm working. And, and then let's look at Matthew 12, 1 through 4. So here's Jesus taking on the Sabbath again. Uh, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. So they're just walking through a field and they're just grabbing some food and eating. And to us in American culture, that just seems like, come on. You know, but in that culture, that was work. And that culture had been established by the Old Testament rules. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Go ahead, verse 3. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and, he, and those who were with him? So again, Jesus doesn't say, oh, this doesn't count as work. Instead, he says, yeah, it's work, but how, and he's talking about David here, how he entered, and here's Jesus with his disciples. And Jesus is like, hey, you know about David and his disciples when they needed food? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. And he's like, hey, you see how David was desperate for food and he ate food that he wasn't supposed to eat? Or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So he's basically saying, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm, bigger, I'm a bigger deal than David. I'm a bigger, bigger deal than the priests. I'm allowed to break the rules. And yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Okay? And Jesus, in the last one, in the last one, Jesus says, you know, my father and I have been working until now. And you notice that the Jews are going to kill him because he breaks the Sabbath and he brings himself up to this place where he's equal with God. And so all wrapped up in Jesus' right to break the Sabbath is the fact that Jesus is God. Okay? So Jesus is allowed to break the rules of the Sabbath, of what they think the Sabbath is, because he's like, I made the Sabbath. And so, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so he's also getting at, the Pharisees had all these rules for the Sabbath, and God's not impressed by all your rules. He doesn't care that you got all these perfect little rules of how you follow the Sabbath. I want mercy. And this verse is in Jesus' mind, that God doesn't care about your sacrifice. He doesn't care about your religious behavior. Like, oh, I showed up to church and I closed my eyes and lift my hands during worship. He's not impressed with the external stuff. What he's impressed by is your behavior. That you have these acts of mercy. Like, oh, these people are hungry on the Sabbath. Let's give them some bread. And then, th this is where Jesus just lays it down. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. To the Jews, for Jesus to say that is for Jesus to go, I'm, I'm king. I, I'm God. You know, I made the Sabbath and I'll change the rules of the Sabbath if I want to. That's what Jesus is doing. Go ahead, verse 9. Now, when he had departed from there, he went to their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, the, the, the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? These guys... And, and guys, we're totally capable of this ourselves. They were so wrapped up in their religion that they had lost their way on the point of everything. You know, like, oh, I don't know if we're allowed to heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus, this is what he's talking about. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire that your behavior is genuinely kind to other people, not that you are religious. Not that you have these great rules and you're these whitewashed 
tombs. And so they say to him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? And then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value than a man is a man than a sheep? And there's something that the environmentalists don't like right there. Jesus believes that men are more important than animals. And therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Jesus was crucified in part because he was a Sabbath breaker. Jesus came on the scene and he started changing the rules of the Sabbath and he started embarrassing the Pharisees over it. And this is why they wanted to kill him. In the last passage, John, at the end, it said, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he broke the Sabbath and said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus shows up, you know, after, I don't know how how many hundred or a thousand or two thousand years of Jewish tradition of following the sabbath jesus shows up and he starts changing the rules of the sabbath and he's and all wrapped up in that is the fact that he's god he's lord of the sabbath you know there's one other verse um that i kind of skipped over but if you read you know the bible has the same it's sort of like how we have multiple cameras in this room you know you got a camera over there that can get this angle camera over there get this angle and it's the same way like Matthew wrote a gospel, and he gets this angle on it. And then Mark writes a gospel. He tells the same story that we just read in Matthew 12 in Mark chapter 2. And Mark 2.27, Mark adds one detail to that story about the grain fields. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so Jesus is kind of fine-tuning some of the rules around the Sabbath, even while he's you know still living within the Jewish system. Okay, uh, let's keep going. So, so this question I'm trying to answer is, how did Jesus change the Sabbath? Jesus ultimately, and I, I actually didn't get this one in there, but you know, Jesus was causing so much trouble with all the Jewish rules that he says in Matthew 5.17, you know, he's obviously causing a lot of controversy with his behavior. He says in Matthew 5.17, do not think I came to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so, you know, deeper into Christian theology, theology, Jesus came and he followed all the rules. You know, and whether he broke the Sabbath or not, you know, he's Lord of the Sabbath. He gets to make the rules for the Sabbath. But he, he did come and live the Jewish life. And he stayed uh, in line with what was allowed. But ultimately, he fulfilled the law. And in Hebrews, it says, or it's in Colossians, we're going to read it, it's a shadow. These, these rules, the Sabbath, it's all a shadow of the things to come. Now, um, so, so if, you, if you think about Sabbath, the word Sabbath literally just means rest. And so, um, you know, the day of rest, rest. Now, if you go to uh, Hebrews 4, verse 9, 10 and 11, it's talking about this rest, the Sabbath. And it says, you know, you could read the whole chapter, uh, but we're going to go 4 through 9, it looks like, is what we put on here. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I wanted verse 9, sorry. So Hebrews 4, verse 9. 
Okay, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. So like the Sabbath was a shadow of what was really coming. Okay, there remains a Sabbath for the people of God. Verse 10. For he who has entered his Sabbath has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And if you know, I don't know if we're going to get into all this, but if you read Hebrews chapter 4, he's talking about heaven. Okay? And, and then go to verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, that Sabbath, that heaven, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And so the shadow is the Sabbath, okay, the, the Saturday. But the real rest is what we're going to have in heaven. You know, God, God worked, you know, a day is seeing the sun and then not seeing the sun. Seeing the sun then not seeing the sun. In heaven, God himself is the light. You know, the, the Jesus, and, or not Jesus and the Lamb, what, what is it? The Father and the Lamb? I don't know how it says it in Revelation. But God and the Lamb are the light of heaven. And there will be no day nor night. You know? And so, like, we're going to get to heaven someday, and we're going to lay down and rest. And it's going to be this day forever. And that's, that's really what the Sabbath is, if you read Hebrews chapter 4. And, you know, Jesus uses the same word Sabbath, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. I will give you rest. And so, like, the real Sabbath is not Saturday or Sunday. The real Sabbath is eternity in heaven with God, that rest, right? But does the fact that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, does that mean there's no more Sabbath? Cross off number four on the Ten Commandments. So I would argue no, and I would argue that based on the behavior of the early church in addition to just the Old Testament. It makes more sense to me that you don't cross off number four on the Ten Commandments. It's a moral law. It's not just a ceremonial law, okay? And so let me show you, I mean, think about this. The Sabbath was Saturday, right? The last day of the week. Put up the picture of the calendar. I really needed this, like, as a young Christian, because I don't know about you guys, but I don't think of... Saturday is the last day of the week, and I don't think of Sunday as the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? It's Monday. This is America. You go to work on Monday, right? But so here's the deal. In six days, so look at Sunday the 4th of October, okay? Or what, what day is it right now? 18? 25. Okay, so we are actually, the 25th is what? What's the 25th? What day of the week? It's that we are at church on the first day of the week right now. Did you know that? Did you know today's the first day of the week? Casey McKinnon's like, yeah, I plan things. Okay? So uh, I have always thought of Sunday as the last day of the week. Okay? Now I need to get into this because of the way they talk about it in the New Testament. So the Sabbath is Saturday in the Old Testament. Saturday is the Sabbath. It's actually Friday night when the sun goes down. That's how the Jewish calendar worked. So like Friday night was actually the beginning of Saturday. Okay? And then... You know, Saturday night, Sabbath is over. So the Jews were always going to church on Saturday, okay? You may have heard of these people called Seventh-day Adventists, okay? If you're ever in a church that is, you know, meeting in a, in a cafeteria somewhere, you might check out the Seventh-day Adventist church because they don't use it on Sunday, okay? Because they're using it on Saturday. Maybe we, should, maybe we should rent this space out on Saturdays, make a little more money. Okay. So, um, 
So Saturday is the Sabbath, okay, historically. But somehow the early church moved it to Sunday. Now, you don't do that without people noticing, right? People are going to write it down in history when it happens. Like, oh, this is a big change. Can you imagine if our church suddenly was like Monday? Monday's when you do church. Like, people would notice. People would make a stink. Letters would be written to the editor. I don't know. So if you go look in church history, how did church move to Sunday? And why is church on Sunday instead of on Saturday? Okay? So question number three. How did church get from Sunday to Saturday? Um, so here we go. Anybody know? I mean, you guys know the answer. What, ha- what was kind of a big, important event in Christianity happened on a Sunday? Resurrection. Okay. So um, now where does this term the Lord's Day come from? So I don't know. We don't call it the Sabbath anymore. Have you noticed that? But when we say the Lord's Day, we kind of, like some guys will actually say a Christian Sabbath. Okay, yeah, sort of. So the Lord's Day. So the, the phrase the Lord's Day comes from Revelation 1.10. So John is, um, what's the phrase? Abandoned, exiled. That's the word. John is exiled on the island of Patmos, I think. And he says, right before he has this big revelation that they named the letter, the book after, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Which probably in John E's, oh, that's good, John E's. So in John E's, that probably means I was praying. Maybe it means I was praying in tongues. Who knows what John meant by that? And on the Lord's day, there is nowhere in the New Testament except this one spot where the phrase the Lord's day exists, okay? So it's also sort of like, Christianity or Christians, you know, there's just this one little brief moment in the book of Acts where it's like, from then on, they were called Christians. You know, you know what Christianity was called before Christianity? It was called the way in the early portion of the book of Acts. And it's sort of like this church history. Church history is kind of interesting because like, it's not like somebody, oh, let's write a MOU about this, memorandum of understanding. From now on, we will call... The Sabbath, the Lord's Day, it'll be on a Sunday instead of a Saturday. We have nothing like that in church history, okay? So what we have to do is we just have to look back. What did they start doing? And so, you know, we can, we can pick up on why, okay? The resurrection was on the first day of the week. You can look and find that. Pentecost was on the first day of the week. The Great Commission was given on the first day of the week. And then the ascension happened on the first day of the week. God kept doing important things on the first day of the week. Um, early in the book of Acts, okay? In the New Testament church, um, Acts 27 through 9. This is, this is great. This really makes me think about Rory. Now, on the first day of the week, so notice, notice the phrase in the Bible, on the first day of the week. What was the first day of the week? Sunday. Remember the calendar? Okay, so the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, it seemed to be the habit that they would come together on the first day of the week not on the Sabbath. And they weren't Jewish anymore. I mean, they were like by race, but this was not Judaism anymore. This was a new thing and it had a new day. And let's just make fun of Rory for a second since he's not here. When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Uh, Doesn't that just remind you of Rory? (laughs) Now look what happens. We're just diverging here for a second. Verse 8. 
There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. I don't know what the lamps part has to do with anything. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eschus, Eutychus, Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Have you ever seen some of the people up in the balcony? You know, you guys don't see them, but I'm just kidding. And he was overcome by sleep. And Paul continued speaking. And he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Oh, my gosh. We shouldn't let people sit in the balcony anymore if they're going to fall asleep. So, and the, don't worry, he gets healed. But can I just say a couple things about this? You know, Rory has a tendency, like I listened to Rory's teachings on the Sabbath again, or on the Lord's Day again, that were from about three years ago. I'm going to post those today with um, the questions for home group. And like, I think the first one was an hour and 10 minutes long. You know what though? So was Paul, you know? Like what, like seriously guys, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of a church that has a 20 minute sermon and we all get like a little drip of milk on our mouth and then we go home? Or do you want to be a part of a church where the pastor brings out some steak every Sunday, you know? Like that's the, that is the character of our church that we discipline ourselves to study the word of God, right? It's easy to get your ears tickled, but it's not so easy to fully take on the scriptures. And that is the character of Paul preaching until kids fell asleep and died. And I want that to be the character of my pastor as well. Just don't let any kids sit on that top thing up there. Where's the OSHA, you know? You can't, you can't sit in your church on the thing. Okay. So anyway, um, so we see that now in 1 Corinthians 16.2, 16, another place where it mentions the first day of the week as Christians gathering. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So he's saying, hey, when you guys come together on the first day of the week, do your, do your tithing every week. So it doesn't have to be this big old thing when Paul shows up that you want to give me a bunch of money. Okay, that's basically what he's saying. So he said, it's the first day of the week. So Paul's writing a, a letter to a church. He doesn't say, hey, on Saturdays when you guys get together. He doesn't say that. He says on Sundays when you guys get together. And so, I mean, those two are the nail in the coffin on the Seventh-day Adventist right there. Like, there's no way that we got to keep the Sabbath still. There's no, I mean... You know, like, if you're going to keep... I don't, I don't even know how Seventh-day Adventists think about this stuff. And, I mean, I'm not saying they're not born again. I'm not condemning them. But I am condemning their bad theology. You cannot keep the Sabbath anymore. Or you, you, you can't keep the law and be justified. So, what are you doing? Like, are, do you circumcise your children? Do you abstain from pork? Do you not wear clothing made out of two fabrics? Like, if you try to take some of the law, you've got to take the whole law and follow it all over again. You know, and circumcision, I mean, circumcision is so crystal clear. Now, there's not a whole lot of teaching on the Sabbath, like do we follow the Sabbath or not in the New Testament, so I could get why you'd get that one confused. But circumcision, you got, which you'd think that would be the topic they would avoid, right? Like it's a little personal. But it's the Sabbath they don't talk much about, but Paul goes on and on about circumcision. You don't have to be circumcised anymore, okay? Because we don't, we're not under the law. You don't have to. You don't have to follow all the specific rules of the Sabbath anymore and live like a Pharisee. That's not required. But at the same time, you don't have to cross off number four on the Ten Commandments. Now, we also see the New Testament, or sorry, we also see the early church 
continue to do this, okay? And so we've got some, stu- some evidence from the New Testament that they started meeting on Sundays instead of Saturdays. But also, I just learned this word today, or yesterday, the Didache. I just spelled it out for myself here. Didache. So the Didache, in case you didn't know, because I didn't, is an early document, historical document, wasn't put into scripture, but it was written by, you know, the early church. And they said in the Didache, which was, you know, right around the same time John wrote Revelation, but every Lord's Day, do ye gather yourselves, they spoke in Old English back then. No, it was in Greek. Uh, Together and break bread and give thanks. This, This phrase, breaking bread, it's actually referring to communion. This is what they called communion, breaking bread. They didn't just have a little wafer and a little shot glass of grape juice. They had a full-blown meal. And break bread and give thanks and confess your sins that you may, your sacrifice may be pure. So like the Lord's Day, they were doing it. They called it the Lord's Day. Okay, go to the next source, um, Ignatius. Ignatius is an early Christian who was a disciple of John. And so AD 110, John died around 90. Ignatius wrote this in AD 110, no longer observed. So this is the, the earliest source that says they went from Saturday to Sunday. And it just says it straight up. No longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day. And I think I have one more source. Uh, Justin Martyr. Okay, another early Christian. This is like 150 AD. Sunday is the day, I mean, I kind of took chunks and put it together. Sunday is the day on which we hold our assembly because it is the day Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead. And so if you study the early church, they didn't continue with Saturday. They moved it to Sunday and they started calling it the Lord's Day. Okay? Now, as a young Christian, I got, I got two more questions in four minutes. Okay. Uh, as, an, as a young Christian... I didn't think of Sunday like this because I think I had kind of gone through a couple, well, probably the experience I was in, and I'd gone through a couple of verses and been like, oh, okay, doesn't mean anything. So if you look at, there's two verses in the Bible that might throw you for a loop, like, are you sure we really need to like, devote a day to the Lord? Like, think about the phrase. This is, I mean, Rory taught this three years ago, and I was sitting there like, oh, this can't be right, Rory. This sounds, this sounds like legalistic, you know? But I think the two things that convinced me the most is that the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments, and it's called the Lord's Day. Like, that's self-defining. It's a day for the Lord. Right? And how many of us treat Sunday that way? So, there are, I'm not even going to go over them. If you want to learn about Romans 14.5 and Colossians 2.17, there are two spots where you might be like, I don't know if you should actually devote a whole day to the Lord. Like, you could listen to Rory on that. Um, let's look at Romans 14.5, though, because I want to talk about the end of it. So, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. And in context, this is probably about, like, people trying to say, you know, like, I don't think... I think there is something here for us about the Lord's Day. Like, I don't think that this is the, the verse about the Lord's Day that should define what the Lord's Day is. I think it's about kind of like more like festivals and stuff. Cause I, so I think in context, I think Paul is talking about like, do we need to follow this Jewish festival and this Jewish festival and this Jewish festival? But Paul says, and you can, you can follow that idea if you want in Rory's teaching. But it says, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. 
Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So I think, I think you can make a strong argument that, that a day every week for the Lord is what the church is supposed to do. Okay? But at the same time, I do think in this is the non-judgmental attitude that we should have. So, like, if your brother or your sister skips church frequently, I don't think it's your job to go to them and condemn them for it, you know? But, you know, in Rory's, Rory's teaching on this, he actually called this an evangelical cigarette. Is that not, like, the best idea? You take this verse, you roll it up, and you smoke it, and it feels really good. So it's like, oh, it's, you know, like, for this, for this, isn't that a great term? So, like, for those people who are like, I don't want to have to do anything for God. Oh, let's see. You know, like, every day is the same. Every day is the Lord's day. So, I would say, if you really believe that every day is the Lord's day, then live it that way. But I think for most of us, to set apart in our life a day that is for the Lord, I think that is a good practice for us. I'm not going to condemn anybody who doesn't do that. But at the same time, like, gosh... Really? He doesn't even get one day a week out of your life? But it says, here's what it says. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. I think too much as Christians, we just kind of let life happen to us. We, I'm not, you, you know, most of you and I, me three years ago before Rory taught on this, oh, I got to go to this on Sunday, can't come to church. You know, life just happened, you know, no control. And so, like, I think, I think that second part is really for us today. Have you studied this? Have you really thought about the fourth commandment and whether or not it still applies to your life? Or, or do you just go about your business signing up for stuff and doing things and letting church have what's left? You know? And uh, so, like, let me give you a couple examples of my own life. So, like, there's this thing in... Um, Prime Bill, Central Oregon, called Kobo, okay? So my kid, I have four boys and a girl, and my boys are all, like, love sports. And my favorite sport is soccer. But my number two sport is probably actually basketball. I love the game of basketball. So my son Eli, he's uh, 14 now, but this is probably about six years ago when we first moved here. He's, like, eight or nine. And he had the chance to join this competitive basketball team, um, you know, it's called, the, the league is called Kobo, Central Oregon Basketball Organization or something. And then we found out that um, games were sometimes on Sundays. And so it's like, oh, all right, yeah, well, you know, and I think the guy that's my friend who was in it was like, oh, it's only like, it's only like one Sunday. So it's like, okay, yeah, we can do one Sunday, you know, it's not that big a deal. And then we joined and got in and then we saw the schedule and it was like four Sundays in two months. So it's like, oh, that's a lot more than one. And so we gave it a shot, and I think we skipped one basketball game. We skipped church, and a couple were in the afternoon. You know, and then, and I mean, Eli's the first of four boys, right? And if I'm going to do Kobo with Eli, they're all going to want to do Kobo. And I played the season out. We played the season out, and I was like an assistant coach. And, you know, I was trying to figure out how's this going to work. And I finished the season, and I looked at the high school, the way that high school basketball works too, and I just said, you know what? We're just not going to do basketball because there's, there's just too much conflict with church. You know, and I, don't, I do a lot of things wrong, guys. But I really think I made the right decision there. And that wasn't an easy decision. 
You know, like, it's not easy to be like, oh, this fun thing, oh, but it's on Sunday. Like, that's a, oh, that causes a lot of, you know. But I think that's what the Lord's Day is about. I think that's what the fourth commandment is about. It's about make the Lord's Day a higher priority than sports. Okay? Make the Lord's Day a higher priority than hunting. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever go on a hunting trip. Okay? (laughs) Whoa, whoa. <laughs> but, you know, and I don't, I don't hunt, so that one's easy for me. Okay? Whew. But are you even thinking about it? You know? Um, change topics. Uh, are you even, seriously though, are you even thinking about it? Like, you know, like I, I don't hunt, but... I would imagine if I tried to do hunting, because I already have a busy life, it would have to happen on the weekends, and then it'd be like, oh, I got this tag, oh, I got to fill this tag, you know, oh, I really need this meat, I paid all this money for this tag, and this, and then all this gas, and I don't know how, I, I got an empty freezer, you know, I, ca- I can't go to church today, I got to go hunting. Like, I would just say, why don't you trust the Lord? You know, I'm not saying don't ever go hunting on a Sunday, right? Like, Rory's gone. Way to go, Rory, skipping church when I'm teaching about the Lord's day. I'm not saying you don't ever miss church, but, you know, like me and Jessica just planned a, a little family vacation. This is top, totally top secret. You can't talk about it. Kids don't get to know yet. But, you know, we looked at um, dates, and I was on the phone with this person booking this stuff. And, and, the, and, you know, it was like, oh, Sunday. And I was like, no, no, Sunday is the Lord's day, you know. And, like, do you treat Sunday like it belongs to the Lord. And, you know, you can listen to Rory's teaching on this stuff. Like, there are plenty of ways to go somewhere on a vacation and still make it all about the Lord. I'm not saying you need to be in this building, right? But do you treat the Lord's Day like it's a special day? Do you, have you, I can't remember what the verse said. Have you become convinced in your own mind what you believe about Sunday? Or do you just, like, schedule your life and whatever's left is on, we'll go to church on those days. You know? And I, I would say this is important. Paul is saying, be convinced in your mind why you're doing what you're doing. Don't just, don't just live life and, oh, we make it to church once a month because we've got so much going on. Like, well, isn't the Lord supposed to take the first place in your life? Okay. Um... And then for those of you self-righteous Pharisees out there, like me, um, what do you do with the second half of the Lord's Day? There's a question. There's the question that I need to answer, okay? It's like, oh, I'm so tired. The live stream didn't work. It's 1 o'clock. I finally got home. I'm just going to lay here and watch Netflix. That's not really, I don't think that's really what the Lord's Day is about, you know? And so, like, that's, that's for me today. Maybe that's for you. I would encourage you, if this message was meaningful to you, to go. I'm going to put on Facebook the questions for home groups. And then I'm also going to put a link to Rory's two teachings on the Lord's Day from about three years ago. I'm going to encourage you, go and listen to those if you need to be fully convinced in your own mind. He gives a lot of specifics, a lot of specific ideas. And I, I think, guys, there's just so much grace. This is not a legalistic thing where, you know, like, you know, we're going to be keeping attendance at church. Like, that's not at all what we're about around here, you know. And, like, 
I don't even really know. Like somebody asked me, hey, have you seen this person? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just running around trying to get the cameras to work every Sunday. Like we are not keep, keeping track, right? But between you and God, you know? So anyway, worship team, come back up. And uh, let's pray for a while while we wait for Adam to show up. Hey, there he is. All right. Uh, Lord, we just, um, God, we just want to have a biblical perspective on Sundays. And God, we just want our lives to be devoted to you. It's not like one day is even enough, God. But we want, we want to put um, Sunday in its proper place in our lives. And so, God, would you speak to us this coming week? God, would you move in the hearts of your people to go and listen to that hour and ten minute sermon from Rory about the Lord's Day from three years ago? Would you, would you move in the hearts and the minds of the people in our church that um, they'd want to be fully convinced in their own mind what Sunday's right place is. And God, would you use this simple message to draw people, people closer to you, to stir up the body of Christ in Prineville at Calvary Chapel, to be using their gifts properly in the church, and to be devoting themselves rightly to you. God, I pray anything that I said that was just wrong, would just disappear, fall away, and be forgotten. God, any way that I've taken your word incorrectly, God, just erase that. And God, but the, the way in which there is truth in your word, God, that, that wants to correct us this morning, let us be corrected by you, God. Let us be willing to hear what you would say to us about Sunday's proper place in our lives. God, let us be, if, if we were supposed to live, like, not even, you know, doing certain things on Sundays and being much more, uh, you know, specific about what the day is for, Lord, let us be willing to embrace that. God, give us a heart that we would desire to put you first and to obey you and to make what you say the priority. God, only... By your spirit, do we come into a place of, of desiring to be compliant and obedient to you? So God, work in this body through this message, God, and be glorified um, by the church in Prineville. In Jesus' name, amen.